All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 15, we were looking at the song of Moses. And this song was a responsive praise to what God had just done in destroying the Egyptians in the Red Sea and how God protected his own people, Israel, and he brought judgment against the enemies of God, that is, the enemies of his people. And then we continued on with the travels of Israel toward Mount Sinai. And that's the part that you have to remember. They are not on their way to the promised land at this time. They're on their way to Mount Sinai as God had directed Moses in Exodus chapter three. So as they were moving on towards uh, basically ensure they came to a particular place where they had no water. And what is important to remember is all throughout their journeyings, they were led by God in the cloud. So what was to be understood was wherever they had been led, they were led there by God himself. So if they came to a place where there was no water, God himself had led them to the place where there was no water. So therefore, with how they should have responded with respect to all that God had done in Egypt, what God had freshly done with the waters of the Red Sea, giving them passageway and yet coming and collapsing upon the Egyptians and killing them. What they should have freshly remembered is Yahweh is their God. He is their protector. He is their provider. But it so happens as we so quickly do, they quickly forgot and they began to murmur and complain. And so they complained to Moses and Moses cried out unto God. That is, he prayed unto God and God revealed to Moses that this was in essence a test for the children of Israel and that they should remember how God always takes care of them. And with respect to that, they should always be obedient to the command of God. And that's why we let we set forth that principle. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings about a curse or should I say judgment or chastisement for God's people. And so God remedied the situation of the people not having water to drink by telling Moses to cut down a tree, put it into the waters in that location called Mara put into the waters and the waters became drinkable once again. Okay. All right. So now we are in chapter 16 and we are going to continue our um, movement. Israel is continuing their journey towards Mount Sinai 16 and one. Then they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. When we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Okay. <laughs> it is ridiculous. But let me say this before I get into uh, 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 to the commentary. Be careful to speak negatively concerning the children of Israel and their journeys. Okay. I might as well say this. 
The journeyings of the children of Israel is basically a spiritual depiction of life. Life for God's people, life for you, life for me is a journey. And so God deals with us in different ways at different times during our journey. And before we start criticizing Israel too heavily and, and, but they are worthy of criticism now, but before we too start criticizing Israel too heavily, let us recall too, that many times on our own personal journey, walk with the Lord is not so good. Many times we too fail. Many times we show a lack of faith just like they did. And many times we disappoint God too, just like they did. So let us be slow to bring about a lot of condemnation because what does the Bible say? Look on your own self. Before you start trying to help your brother out, make sure you don't have logs in your own eye. But anyway, and oh, I tell you what, since I'm there too, and let us also remember too, that we on this side of salvation, and I don't want to get into a lot of details and I hope you can understand it. But on this side, that is since the coming of Jesus, our Messiah, his death, burial and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we have something that they do not have. They, the Old Testament saints, as we call them, never had the Holy Spirit of God to come and reside inside of them. Remember, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, he spoke to his disciples, that was the Holy Spirit was alongside of them. He said, but in that day, when that time should come, the Holy Spirit will indwell you. And by this, the father, as well as the son will indwell every believer. So they did not have even all of the fullness of the benefits of grace that we have. We have internally something continually abiding inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God that helps us teaches us and strengthens us. So let us ease up a little bit, not be not too, too overly critical, but nevertheless, they do deserve criticism in the sense that they saw the great wonders of God. What do I mean? You guys recall when we looked at Exodus chapter seven, all the way up to chapter 12, those 10 plagues that they witnessed and that they saw God bring up on Egypt, that was a witness from God. And therefore this should have built up faith in Israel. The Red Sea, what they just crossed, should have built up faith in Israel. God providing them with water to drink with this casting oil should have built up faith in Israel. Okay, enough of that. So let's just go back into the commentary. Remember it was in Elam, that's at the end of chapter 15, where they had those palm uh, uh, date trees, palm dates, as well as uh, the waters, the springs of water there, okay? A place of plenty. Go back and look at chapter 15. This is where they're leaving from, basically from Shur, I believe it's called. And now we see that it is the second month and the 15th day. That is exactly one month since the people departed from Egypt. Remember, it was the, the first day that was set at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the first month on the 15th. Here it is the second month and the 15th. So basically 30 days later, after the people has depart, have departed 
from Egypt, they have exhausted, they have exhausted their food resources. And so what do they naturally begin to do? Grumble against that visible entity of leadership. What do I mean by the visible entity of leadership? What they could see and grumble against would be Moses and Aaron. And that's what they did. When they ran out of food, they began to grumble against Moses and Aaron. And in verse number three, let's examine the nature of their complaint. Look what they said. Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Now that's kind of perverse, don't you think? They always seem to go back to Egypt in their mind. And somehow they turn Egypt into a, fl a, a, a flower pl paradise where everything was just wonderful. Life was wonderful. And they have so quickly forgotten the harshness of slavery. Remember, it was bitter slavery. And the very last thing, remember, that the Pharaoh had put upon the people, gather your own straw. But we're not going to rehash all of those things, which made slavery even more difficult. And when they could not come up with the tally of bricks, they were beaten. So they forgot so quickly how harsh the life of slavery were. And now they have somehow reimagined slavery as something to be desired. And, but here, here's the perverseness that I want you guys to see. Would that God had killed us in the hand, in the land of Egypt. What? God was not going to, Somehow God is being responsible for what's going on in the land of Egypt and being one who permits you to suffer and die. So they're kind of like blaming this situation on God. It was better if God had simply let us die in Egypt. So basically that's what they're saying in a nutshell. It's better that God had let us die in Egypt and notice as they begin to consider what life was about when it came to eating we sat by the pots of meat, by the pots of flesh, and we ate bread to the full. The Egyptians allowed them to eat meat and eat as much bread as they want. We were full. So all they can think about is their full bellies and forgotten the harshness of slavery. And so they said, look to Moses and they blame once again, as it was in chapter 15. They blame Moses for their present predicament. You have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with you brought us out here, Moses, to die. Now, I'm not it, it's almost worthless to rehash this over and over again. But one more time. How were they led out of Egypt? The cloud. God himself manifested his presence in the cloud and God led them out of Egypt. Who directed them on their journey? God did. He did this via the cloud that was moving over their head. It was never Moses who brought them out of Egypt. It was not Moses's majestic power and Moses doing these signs and wonders in and of himself. It was God who delivered them. And Moses was simply his agent of delivery. Moses was his deliverer but it was God who was ultimately the deliverer 
of the people of God. But nevertheless, they keep on blaming Moses for their predicament and it gets tiresome. And so we already have the assumptive value of what we can assume that Moses would do. When the people would come and complain, Moses would turn to God in prayer. And thus he did, and thus the Lord responded. Verse number four. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much that, that they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, at evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Okay, so in verse number four, what do we have in this section? The Lord responds to Moses that he is aware of the grumblings of the children of Israel, which gives us the evidence of God's omniscience. It is one who knows all things. He hears all things. And so God says, I will provide for them. God, their provider, as he did. And they should have recognized this earlier. Nevertheless, Notice the patience of God. Now he doesn't like it, but still, nevertheless, he is still very patient with the people. And so what he says is he'll provide bread from heaven. And so he gives instructions on what they are to do. They are to gather each man a portion to eat every day. And God said that he may put them to the test. Now, two things went right quick that he may put them to the test. This takes us immediately back to what happened when they lacked no water. God had led them to Mara, a place where there was no water because he wanted to test them. And so now, once again, what do we see? A continuation of this very fact that God has now led them into a place and not so much as to a place, but we are talking about a place, but he has led them into a situation to which they have no food to eat. Once again, to do what? Test them that they may ultimately trust God. And that's the very theme of all that is taking place here, that you may learn to trust God. Now, even concerning that trusting of God, notice what he says in his provision for the people, that each man may gather only a daily portion. In other words, you see, it's human nature. Anytime you are experiencing some sort of a lack, the first thing that you would do is, and this is, I've heard this particular, uh, 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 proverbial phrase, you better get it while the getting is good. So the natural mindset, sinful mindset, human mindset is when you see all of this food available, Gather as much as you possibly can. But that's not what God said. He said for each man to gather simply a daily portion, what he would eat for that day. Why? 
God is establishing, he is training and disciplining his people to trust him. So therefore, they must learn to trust God for their daily provision. Is this not the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, taught us the disciples to pray? What did he say? Give us today what? Not tomorrow, not to, not next month, not enough for a year, but give us today our daily bread. So Jesus is not so much is teaching us to ask God to give us something simply for today. But Jesus is telling us to learn and he's telling us to learn through prayer to trust God from day to day. Learn to trust God with your daily needs that if God has provided for this day, thank him for this day and don't become excited. Don't become worried about tomorrow. But what God, the God who provided for you today, if it is his will and we see that and please go back and review chapter 15. If it is his will, he will provide for you. The next day we must come to a point where we learn to trust God. And you know what God sometimes does? He disciplines, he structures our life. He creates lack in our life so that we too can learn to trust him. Okay. Enough preaching on that. And so he says, he continues on the th thinking daily. And now we get into the principle. We're beginning to develop the principle of the Sabbath. The Sabbath will be the seventh day because what does he say on the sixth day, every day, every six days you gather enough, whatever portion of bread God provides for that day. But on the sixth day, gather a double day's portion because on the seventh day, no man will be able to go out and gather. And so God says on the sixth day, gather the double portion because, and we're going to see this brought out even more in the text because the seventh day will be declared as a Sabbath unto the Lord. Okay. And so he continues to say, God will do this thing quickly. What? He says at evening, you will know that it is the Lord that brought you out. Because remember, they were saying to Moses, why have you brought us out? And God is simply saying by these things, just like he said in Egypt, when he did all of those plagues against Egypt, by these things, you will know that Yahweh is God. And so he now says through Moses and Aaron to Israel by the provision of food, bread that you will see, you will know it is not Moses who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, but it is God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so therefore in the morning, you will see this particular thing. Why? He says, because God is responding to your grumbling, to your murmuring and complaining. And I don't want to rehash all of that again. That's all in chapter 15. So if you haven't seen it, go back to see it. How God hates the murmuring and complaining. It simply evidences the fact that you do not trust God and it evidence of fact, a spirit of ingratitude. Okay. So let's continue. Verse number eight, Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening. 
Bread to eat to the full in the morning for the Lord. hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud and the Lord spoke to Mo. I tell you what, let me stop there and I'll continue on. So now Moses continues his instruction as well as a sense of upbraiding to the sons of Israel when he says, all right, this is what the Lord is going to do. He is going to give you, remember, they were uh, 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 reminiscing of how they had meat and how they had bread to the full. And notice as they reminisced about the meat and the bread to the full in slavery in Egypt, he says, and so thus God will give you meat and bread to the full. He will give you meat in the evening time and he will give you bread in the morning time. And he'll talk about that even more as we move through the text. And then he brought out the point why are you grumbling against us as, is th as if this predicament is all because of us? It's not. It is actually your grumblings are against the Lord and not against us. And so he directs Aaron to go to the congregation and tell them to draw near before the Lord. That to expect some sort of a supernatural manifestation that God is going to give the people to let them know. And, and remember the whole point of this is simply to say what Moses is saying to you is the truth. It has come from God. How do you know that this is a truth that has come from God? Look, look at God. God is showing himself. So therefore this becomes the evidence that, or should I simply say it this way? the support of Moses's words to confirm what Moses is saying. What is Moses saying? God's going to give you meat. God's going to give you bread and your grumbling is not against us. Your grumbling is against God. Take a look at that. And then when they look toward the wilderness, all of a sudden God manifested himself in the cloud in such a way that it got the attention of the people of Israel. And so the Lord then begins to speak directly to Moses. So we can assume, as we will see in countless other examples, especially as when Moses builds the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is not built at this time. But when Moses does build the tabernacle, we will see the cloud of glory overshadow the tabernacle. And Moses will then go into the tabernacle and commune with God. So in that same sense, Moses draws near unto the thick cloud of God's presence. And God begins to speak with Moses. Verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them saying at twilight, you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. So it came about at evening that quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. 
when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, so now let's look at this section. So God is speaking to Moses. And of course, this is to be directed to the children of Israel. And what is that? Tell them that I have heard their grumblings against me. And therefore, God is going to respond to their grumblings graciously at twilight by giving them meat. When it says twilight, you can basically consider it like 2 to 5 p.m., 6 p.m., towards the dawning of, I'm sorry, towards the evening, the coming of the evening, there will be meat to eat. And in the morning, there will be a dew set upon the ground, and this dew will be the bread that God gives them to eat. And so, Towards the twilight, that is towards the evening time, God sent a great amount of quail and these quail and the idea. Notice what the scripture said here at the the quails came and covered the camp. The quails covered literally the ground of the camp, the ground of the camp. That's supernatural in the first place for the for the birds to fly and come to the ground. Number two, we have to remember as well as we recounting these events of God's provision of bird and bread, the number of people. You have a minimum of two million people, two million people. And what has God promised to give them meat and bread to the full? Can you imagine the number of quail that had to come to the ground? I cannot. I cannot imagine that many birds, these small little birds there that would give that would feed these people. Second thing concerning this manna. OK, it said that in the morning time when they got up and the frost had disappeared, they saw this white like frost coriander like seed that covered the ground and the children of Israel had never seen anything like it before. And thus they said in Hebrew, in the Hebrew tongue, man, who man, who it is from these words that we get the term manna. What is it? That's literally what it means. What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And so therefore Moses responded when they saw these little white things like frost covering the ground, Moses said, it is the bread that God has given you to eat. Okay. Let me make an aside right quick. It does take our minds back so much to John chapter six. And when Jesus did the miracle of the loaves of bread with the intent of bringing us to a reflection of what is going on with God providing them bread or manna. And that is the idea of manna from heaven. And here is where the people were requesting from Jesus as he did the miracle of bread. And the people came over the next day trying to look for Jesus after Jesus had crossed over to the other side, wanting Jesus to reduplicate the miracle to continue providing them with bread. And they didn't want to work. They didn't want to work. 
But that's not the principle that God himself said. Notice here, even though God provided the bread, the manna from heaven, the people still had to go and gather it up. If you don't work, you don't eat. There is still some form of labor that was necessary that God required for the people to expend in order to feed themselves. God didn't just make their bellies automatically full. He said, okay, I'll put it on the ground, but you got to go and eat, go and get it. And then you cook it and eat it. Nevertheless, this brings us back to Jesus. When the people were wanting him to recreate that miracle again, of constantly providing them bread. And Jesus told them, don't seek this kind of bread, the bread that simply disappears, but seek true bread, true bread that not only gives you life and then you eat it and hungry again and ultimately die, but true bread that you eat and live forever. And so the people said, God I would do what God did for when he did with Moses for what did he do for God gave them manna, gave them bread from heaven. And what did Jesus say? He said, God did not give your father's bread from heaven. The true bread that comes from heaven is, and let me just cut it short. Me. I am the bread of life. I am that bread. And then he continues to say, and except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I am the bread that if you consume it, it will give you life. But anyway, so we can see very clearly here how this manna episode is done in reflection of what the Messiah himself would declare himself to be the true bread that comes down from heaven. Not that a man should eat and later on perish, but that one should eat and live forever in the presence of God. Okay, enough of that. But let's go on back to the text. Verse number 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much, some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Okay, so now let's talk about it. Continuing on in the instruction concerning how to, get, how to gather the manna. And so that is no greed, no greed. Each man was to gather as much as he should eat. And that was determined to be an omer apiece. That is about two quarts. So a daily portion for each individual would be two quarts of manna per person. Okay. And then concerning that, no one is to gather anything more than that. So in retrospect, when they looked at it, if you had a large family, you were to gather as much as two quarts per family for that lot for, for each person in that family for a large family or if a small 
same thing, two quarts per person. So that when it was looked at in the end, that a large family, it was a lot, a large family. That's what it means by they who gathered a lot and they who gathered a little. The large family, even though they gathered a great deal of it, they still didn't have an overabundance of it. And the small family, even though they didn't gather as much, they didn't have uh, less than they need. The point is God met their need. God did what provided for their need. And that's a principle as well that God is driving here. And he also drives through Jesus in the prayer to the disciples. What again? Give us today. What? Our daily bread. God provides for our needs. Now, this is what God does for his people principally. He gives us what he needs. That's again why Paul says in the book of 1 Timothy, having food and clothing, let us be content. Food and clothing simply is the things that we need. And so therefore he says, once God provides the things that we need, let me say it my way. Go sit down. Be content. And that's the idea here with the Omer. God is providing the daily needs. But what we can see, especially in Western society, I am an American. I'm speaking as an American. If there is one thing that God has done for the people of this country and many other Western countries, materially, God has blessed this country. We don't simply have what we need. We have more than what we need. The average home has an air conditioner. The average home has two or more cars. People have refrigerator as well as freezers. So they have more than enough food, food for that day, food for tomorrow, food for the week, food for the month, food so much that sometimes they have to throw it out because the food has spoiled or become freezer burned. So God has been more than faithful to his people, but nevertheless, the requirement of God from God is to provide the daily need. Okay. Enough preaching right there. So what happened? The people in exercise of these things, he says, all right, go get the two quarts, eat it for that day. Don't leave any of it for that day. Eat it all and make sure you don't leave any of it. Okay. For that day, don't leave any of it until the next morning. In other words, simply eat all of it. But you had some of the people who didn't listen to Moses and they left some of it. So now let me talk about that part. It's not a long, lengthy discussion. They just simply did not believe God. And it, it makes it gives you an emotional jerk. Out of everything that God did in Egypt, out of everything, with the, out of what God just did with the departing of the Red Sea, out of what God just did in Mara and sweetening, making the waters drinkable. And what God just did in sending all these quails, all of these quails. And what God just did, you woke yourself up in the morning and you saw bread on the ground. Why has not God earned your trust? And that's the problem. And now you can see Moses is 
anger with them. Why? Why did they leave some of it over to the next morning? Here's some of them saying, well, maybe God might not do it like he said the next. He might not give us bread tomorrow. So what did they do? They're going to try to save a little bit so they can have something to eat. Didn't God tell you? Six days, he's going to provide this manna from heaven. Didn't God tell you on the sixth day, he's going to give you double portion of that? Didn't he tell you that? And still, they did not believe him. And some of them kept it and it bred worms and stank. God judged them and caused the manna to supernaturally breed worms and stank. <laughs> But anyway, but nevertheless, the principle was being set. How what? They would gather it every morning after the, the dew had set. The dew had evaporated. They would gather it every morning. And this continued. Oh, I'm a little premature, but it did continue for the whole duration of the wilderness wandering 40 years. And if by the time the morning came, uh, after the morning, when the sun would begin to rise, it would begin to melt. So they had to go out and gather it every morning, occupationally. What? Occupationally. You got to work for it. Okay. Verse 22. Further stipulations concerning the manna. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, put aside as to, uh, to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Okay, now what we have are here in this section, further stipulations concerning the gathering of the manna. And basically, and, 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 and you can see the cyclic uh, 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 um, God saying it again and again and again. You are to gather it six days, what? An omer, two quarts per person. But on the sixth day, gather double the amount, which would be four, two omers or four quarts per person. Why? Because on the Sabbath day, there will be no uh, manna in the field. If you went to look for it on the Sabbath, it's not going to be in, in the field. Okay. And so therefore he says six, you will gather double the amount. And here's when he first said, here's the first mention. So y'all listen to me here. This is the first mention in the Bible of any observance of the Sabbath day. But this here is the principle of the Sabbath. What did I just say? What God is establishing, what Moses is establishing here is the principle of the Sabbath of the Sabbath. Later on in the law of Moses, in the book of Exodus, later on in the Mosaic law, he will establish the ordinance of the Sabbath, the law of the Sabbath. OK, but here he is setting forth a principle that they are to observe. That is the Sabbath. 
every Sabbath. So therefore, God is giving them even now. That's why I'm calling it the principle. The principle because the law, the ordinance has not been given through the law of Moses. And okay, just in case you guys have, uh, understand it. It is not until you get into Exodus chapter 19 and the children of Israel are at Mount Sinai. They are brought into a covenant. God adopts them, formally adopts them as a covenant people at Mount Sinai. And as the people are at Mount Sinai, God is at the, at, on the mountain and all of the supernatural things that are taking place. And God begins to say in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. Thou shalt have no other God besides me. And he begins to give what we call the Decalogue. And then he can, he, he, God wants to continue on, but the people run away. So those commandments that are given then and furtherance of those commandments that God gives Moses at later time, these become the law of Moses. These becomes the statutes and the ordinances. And it is in these that the law of Sabbath will be adopted as an ordinance. You got it now? So that's when it was adopted as an ordinance. But here in particular, it is being set forth as a principal observation. No doubt. Of course, you know, God knows that he's going to give the law later on. But anyway, that's the idea. So here is the first mention of the Sabbath. And therefore, they are not to work or gather on the Sabbath. Notice the idea of principle again, work on the Sabbath. Notice the term that I use work, even though God gave them bread, they had to what work for it. But on the Sabbath, no work. That is a day of rest. Okay. And so he says that if once you gather your double portion on the sixth day, don't be afraid of what's going to happen on the Sabbath day, because there will be no, it won't turn foul and it won't have any worms on it, even though you won't gather any on the Sabbath day and you will have extra on that day. It will, you will have it to go on the sixth day and even to the seventh day. It won't breed any worms. Okay. Verse 27, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day, on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day again, and it exhausts anybody, the unbelief of some of the people of Israel, because all they're doing is this. Notice again, on the sixth day, they gathered double portion already in addition. And it didn't breed, uh, it didn't breed worms. It didn't turn foul. So they had on the seventh day, they had, they ate the six day supply. They already got the seven day supply to eat. So they hadn't even eaten that, but still they went out on the set trying to get more. Why are you getting more? Either you are not satisfied with what God is doing or the picture as it clearly is being given here is unbelief, unbelief. It is a staggering picture. 
Okay, I'm exhausted. I don't even want to talk about it because I've already talked about it before. You should believe God. And so even they have exhausted God. So look at God's exhausted response. How long will these people not hear me, not obey me, obey my statutes? So you can see God is, he said, this is ridiculous here. But nevertheless, he just simply reiterates and simply says, I gave them the sixth day so that they can get the double portion so that they don't have to worry about gathering any on the Sabbath day. And now notice again, principles set forth for the Sabbath, that on the Sabbath day, every man should stay in his place. Every man should stay in his tent. Every man should rest on the Sabbath day. No work. No going out to gather it. And so he just simply says, so the people learned that they should rest on the Sabbath day, gather on their other six days. But now let me go back to the seventh day um, that every man should stay in his place. Let me talk about something for our time, because sometimes people like to say that God has uh, set the Sabbath day. And I don't want to get into all of that because that could be a lengthy discussion. But all I want you to see is this, the Sabbath day as given by God, both here principally and in according to the law of Sabbath, the ordinance of Sabbath in the law of Moses. It was never about going to church. The Sabbath day was that each man should rest. The Sabbath day was never given so that people should go to church. The Sabbath day was given to rest. So we should always be very careful in how we look at whether the principle of the Sabbath here or the ordinance of the Sabbath in the law of Moses and try to say that we should go to church on Saturday, the Sabbath day, because first of all, clearly the Lord has said through Paul in Romans chapter 14 and Colossians chapter one, that observance of days is no longer required anymore under the law of Christ. The, the law of Moses is done away with. We no longer observe the Sabbath. But anyway, even if some do try to insist worship on the Sabbath day, it's still wrong. Why? Because under the principle of Sabbath, Sabbath means stay at home. <laughs> anyway, let's finish this chapter. It's been long enough. 31. The house of Israel named it manna. It was like the coriander seed, white, and it, and it tastes was like wafers and with honey. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabitant land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now, an omer is a tenth of an ephah. Okay, so now as he continues on giving instructions concerning the manna, he describes the manna even more so, letting us know about what it looked like, like a coriander seed here. And furthermore, 
what it tastes like. He said like a wafer, a sweet honey wafer. And then he memorialized God's provision for the people and God provide. In other words, let this forever be a memorial. And this is something we always need to remember how God will provide. Always remember that. And so that's the idea of a memorial. It is some sort of a physical manifestation to remember or recall uh, an event. And so God is saying, take an omer full, take that which God has given for provision, for a daily provision. Notice an omer full, daily provision. God will provide for your daily bread. And set it before the Lord, set it before the Lord as a memorial of what God has done, okay? And then he further says, and set it before the ark of the testimony. Okay, so let me deal with this. As we are here in particular, this lets us see that this event is being recalled in retrospect. That's the, ba that's the basic idea. That's the overall ending idea. They are uh, recalling this event in retrospect. Okay, let me tell you why I'm, I'm doing it this way. Right now, they are on their way to Mount Sinai. Okay? The law of the testimony as, that he's talking about here has not even been given. The law of the testimony is what God is going to give Moses at Mount Sinai. They're not even at Mount Sinai. So therefore, this event is being called in retrospect to all of this. They're looking back to these things. Because notice once again, the sons of Israel, verse number 35, ate manna 40 years. We, we haven't even been in the wilderness one year yet. But nevertheless, they are looking back after 40 years. So again, all of this is being looked at in what again, saints? In retrospect, is being recalled after these events. So before these events, so God tells Moses to tell Aaron, set it up. And, and you'll see why this is so important too for him to direct Aaron because Aaron is going to become the first high priest. And from Aaron's family will come the priest. And it would be the priest that will have these particular things uh, uh, be over these things, do the service of these things. But nevertheless, so he tells him to memorialize it by putting it into a particular container. And this, the writer of Hebrews Let's, and notice here it says before the testimony, the idea is this would in some sense be in front of the testimony of the Lord. That is in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And we don't want to get into all of those details. I just hope you guys understand that the Ark of the Covenant was the most holy vessel in the most holy place of the tabernacle. OK, we know that the tabernacle at this time has not been given. But again, looking at it, what? In retrospect. So in retrospect, the tabernacle has been built, has been built. Exodus chapters 25 through chapter 40, the providing for the things of the tabernacle. Chapter 40, the erection of the tabernacle. Looking at it in retrospect, after all of these things, set it before the ark, okay? But what I want to bring to your attention in Hebrews chapter nine, the writer of Hebrews chapter nine lets us know that at some point in time, it appears that these articles were that the, the, the manna was not simply moved before the table. Of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Ark of the Covenant, but that it was moved into the cabinet 
of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> oh my God, I opened up a can of worm. For the Ark of the Covenant, those cherubims that sit on a golden mercy seat, and this mercy seat sit over uh, a chest, a big chest. Inside this chest was number one, this, what we're talking about here, the manna that God told Moses to tell Aaron to preserve, Aaron's rod that budded, that's from the book of Numbers, and um, um, the, uh, the, and the, uh, and the t tablets of the testimony. I'm sorry, I'm getting old. The tablets of the testimony, the manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. But nevertheless, the whole point is, because we don't want to get into all of those things and get way off of what we're talking about. Nevertheless, what we find here is the Omer was preserved for generations. And we believe that this was lost when Nebuchadnezzar attacked the temple of God and destroyed the temple in 586 BC. All right. And so all it does in verse number 35 is they recall that God had provided this manna faithfully every day throughout uh, Israel's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years years and they ate it all the way up until they came unto the land of Canaan. I believe that's in Joshua chapter five, when they came into Gilgal and they ate some of the first produces of the land. And as soon God is so wonderful. And as soon as Israel ate the produce of the land of Canaan, which was where God was bringing them into the promised land, the land of Canaan, he automatically cut off the manna. No need to provide the manna from heaven because now you can eat of the land. God had proved 40 years every single day providing manna, bread for over 2 million people every single day. Amazing, is it not? And so it ends in talking about the size of what is an omer, the, what is an omer as far as the size of it. And it simply says an omer is a tenth of an ephah. An ephah is about the size of a bushel. And we've already told you an omer is about two quarts. All right, guys, thank you for joining me with that. Join me next time as we get into chapter 17, as we continue with Israel's journeying towards Mount Sinai, as well as their complaining. And again, God's wonderful and gracious provision as God provides water from a rock. See you next time.